feeling impatient yet? <laughs> I brought my phone up here to help me measure that minute because I knew that if I didn't have that phone up here to make me wait a whole minute, that I would be crawling out of my skin wondering how you were feeling and what you were thinking. Because if we can't be patient in church in the presence of God, I don't know how we can be patient anywhere. And that was not comfortable for me, and I'm glad that you responded with a little twitter of laughter and not by heading for the doors. You know, our common understanding of patience comes from our daily lives. We know that if we read the dictionary, it talks about our patience, really a definition is patience is a willingness to wait, to suppress our annoyance, our irritability, our uneasiness in moments of stillness or when others especially those who drive in front of us going 25 in a 30-mile-an-hour zone get under our skin. Or when someone in the checkout line at the store can't count out the right change for $1.14 worth of groceries. We're used to talking about that kind of impatience. We're even used to the kind of impatience that happens when we're learning a new skill. If we want to learn to speak Spanish, we want to be able to read War and Peace in Spanish next week, right? We don't want to wait and take the time that it takes to cultivate a new skill. Any golfers out there? How long did it take you to master your drive? I gave up the game. It was impossible. <laughs> so we're used to that kind of impatience. We want instant gratification. We want what we want. We want that car, or that watch, or that new phone. Even when we can't afford it, we want it right now. We want that birthday gift, or that Christmas gift, before our birthday is here, or Christmas is here, and we want it right now. We want what we want, when we want it, how we want it, and we don't want to wait. I experienced impatience last Sunday. I'm going to tell you about it. Now, every sermon doesn't need to be about the pastor. And I know I probably talk about myself more than I should. But there was a great lesson for me, and I'm going to share it with you from last Sunday afternoon. You see, I had cleared the decks. The afternoon was going to be free. I was going to leave here and go out to a, a condo I recently purchased, and I was going to go down on the beach and I was going to take some of the books that we read and use to prepare sermons because I was a little behind on my schedule. The Jubilee week was busy and I was going to do some of that reading and spend the afternoon working on this sermon on patience in a quiet setting, a setting where it's so easy for me to see and hear from God. But as life often happens in the church. That morning during the service, I learned that one of our members who hadn't even called to tell me had had a fourth surgery, and he was in the hospital down in St. Petersburg, and I wanted to go see him because I had visited him before. 
So when I left here, I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to go down there and, and visit, and I did, and it was a really nice visit, and he's, what a wonderful disposition for someone who's undergone his fourth surgery since June. What a lesson in patience that was. And then, because I'm moving, when I left the hospital, I thought, well, instead of go to the beach and carry out my plan, I'm going to zip up north to my house in Eastlake and load up the car with one load of boxes and bring them back to the condo, because I just can't wait to move in. So I went to the house, and I went in and thought, oh, you know, Pam, you sweat like a guy. Take off your nice church clothes. So I took off my nice church clothes and I threw on one of Bruce's t-shirts and I didn't even wait to put on my gym shorts and I ran out into the garage, the doors were closed, <laughs> the doors were closed, with some boxes and there I was in the garage, I put the first few boxes in the car and I went back to go in the house and the door was locked. <laughs> I promise you every word of this story you're going to hear today is true. There I was in my garage, in Bruce's t-shirt and my underwear. <laughs> now, if the word underwear offends you, I want you to look in Exodus and Leviticus. God talks about, the, he prescribes how undergarments were to be worn by the priests, so I'm allowed to talk about underwear, all right? I was, and I'm laughing now, because I'm here. Obviously, I didn't die in that garage. I was frustrated. I thought, oh no, what am I going to do? I thought, yeah, well, I could call Arch. Arch lives not too far away in Eastlake, or I could call Pastor Bob. And then I thought, oh, that's not happening. <laughs> yeah. And then I realized it didn't matter. I couldn't call anybody. My phone and my keys were in the house. Uh -huh. And this was a deadbolt kind of lock, and I have no idea. Well, I do have an idea how that door locked. We'll get to that a little later. I saw the afternoon going up in smoke. I was feeling impatient. My sermon about patience was not going to get written. And I was not a happy camper. I wasn't a happy camper at all. And then God did what God so often does. He put me in a divine timeout. And I looked around and I wasn't sure how I was going to get out of that garage, and I sat down in this plastic chair we have in the garage, and I said, Jesus, I've had it. I don't know what to do, and I'm going to sit down till you tell me. But that kind of impatience isn't what our text today was talking about. Our text today is talking about waiting patiently on God during times of trouble. James wrote at a time when the church was being persecuted, and his words, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming, really were meant to encourage people to be patient through a time of terrible persecution, suffering, and death. That's the kind of patience that we mostly need to talk about today. Pastor Bob read that text for you earlier. It talked about how the farmer has to wait for the crop to grow. It doesn't happen overnight. You see, James was speaking about patience, and he used a word. It's a Greek word called apiakes. Apiakes. 
It's sometimes interpreted as patience, but in the book of Galatians, where the Apostle Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, he talks about joy, love, peace, patience, and kindness. But if you look at the word for patience in some translations, including the New International Version, it says joy, love, peace, forbearance, and so on. Then James was referring to persecution, but we still need today to cultivate, actively cultivate our ability to endure and to persevere. We have to learn to accept Except that God's will unfolds in God's time, and sometimes it unfolds the way we like, and sometimes it doesn't unfold the way we like at all, and in those cases, we need patience to learn to accept His will when it's not our own. Last week, Pastor Bob referred to a wonderful writer and priest named Henry Nguyen about growing through hardship. And growing through hardship and growing through patience have a lot to do with each other because we grow through hardship by being patient. Henry Nguyen reminds us in a book that he wrote called Making All Things New that Jesus told us that we would have to take up our crosses if we wanted to follow him. Take up our crosses and follow him. This means bearing our suffering with serious determination. It is an active patience. Patience isn't passive. We may be quiet when we're patient, but we're active in that we are making the choice to be patient. We are making the choice to endure and persevere. We have to recognize our impatience and choose to be patient instead. Now, who should be the objects of our patience? Obviously, one another. Family members, children, parents, co-workers, day-to-day encounters with the slow driver or the fast driver, as the case may be. We also have to be patient with one another. There is nothing that grieves my heart more than when I see one church member being impatient with another, and there's nothing that makes me feel more remorse and regret than when I demonstrate impatience with one of you. And if I've ever done that, I do the first thing this morning that's necessary. I ask your forgiveness. Patience is a virtue. It's never been one of mine. And it's not some of yours either. Just thought I'd point that out. But I'm not saying this morning that we should be patient with everything. And I, this is just something I injected into the sermon yesterday after watching the news. I am not calling on you to be patient or endure racism, sexism, or what's wrong in the world because of human sin and selfishness and greed and hubris. That is not something that we need to be patient about. And we need to work actively to correct those things, just to be clear. 
We also need to be patient with ourselves. Sometimes the person that I'm least patient with is me. I don't like making mistakes. I don't like when I do my best. I don't like when I get things out of order on Sunday morning up here. Sometimes you don't even realize it. But we have to give ourselves a little grace. We have to give ourselves grace when we sin and repent and ask forgiveness because we're going to sin again. We have to give ourselves grace when we fail and recognize that maybe we failed because God's got something better for us ahead. And we have to be patient with ourselves when we grieve. You don't get a free pass to rush through the process because it doesn't feel good. Although James told us in the passage from James not to grumble against one another, his lesson about patience really wasn't about our dealings with one another as much as it was about our dealing with God. And his words remind us that a long delay should not cause us to lose hope because our God always offers hope. Suffering should not cause us to lose faith because Jesus suffered and we suffer with him and yet God is always faithful and we must be always faithful too. Grief cannot overwhelm us forever. It only feels like forever. God heals all wounds. Unemployment shouldn't make us stop looking for work because God always has a purpose for us. It might not be the purpose that we hope for. Sickness should not take all of our joy because the resurrection has overcome the worst form of sickness and death. Thwarted plans should not cause us to give up. God's got a better plan. So let's go back to the story of your pastor sitting in the garage. It's kind of funny. I'm glad it made you laugh. It makes me laugh now, too. But it really wasn't about impatience over writing a sermon. You see, I've been running around with my hair on fire for the better part of three months now. It's Getting locked in the garage was God's way of saying, stop. Stop running back and forth from your house to the condo, from your church to the condo, from your church to the house, to this, to that, to the other. Stop. You cannot avoid me and you cannot avoid grief by staying unbelievably busy. You can't avoid feeling by keeping yourself tired. You can't rush around to avert the hurt. So sit, you're behind down in that chair in your underwear. You are in timeout, Pam Dubo, until I'm done with you. And then God did a beautiful and graced, grace-filled thing. He took an hour and a half to do it. I sat in that chair, and the garage was hot. Last Sunday was hot. There's not air conditioning in our garage. It had to be close to 100 degrees. And I was sitting in a chair that looks at a freezer 
that Bruce used to fill up every time he went to the commissary at McDill. He'd buy way too much stuff because we had a freezer and he could freeze it. And I looked at the freezer and I thought of Bruce and I started laughing about how he used to fill that freezer. I found six-year-old roasts in that freezer after Bruce died. <laughs> and I pulled the chair closer to the door and I opened it. Air conditioning. <laughs> and I sat there. Now, you know, a garage is usually a man's domain, and I looked around, that was true in our house, and I saw Bruce's stuff all over that garage, and I looked over to the right, and there was a hammer, and screwdrivers and stuff sitting on the wall. Now, mind you, for 36 years, I've been treated like a princess who never needed to turn a screw in a, with a screwdriver. Bruce did all that, that wasn't my job. But as I sat there in my time out, God used Bruce's voice to talk to me. And I heard Bruce's voice, not really, but I imagined his voice as I looked at the door. I remembered him one day getting an elliptical rider out of the house that had been assembled in the house. It was too wide for the door. What did he do? And I heard Bruce go, the hinges, Pam, the hinges. So I went and I got the hammer and I took the hinges off the door and I couldn't budge it. It was too heavy for me and it had been in place too long. Then I grabbed the screwdriver and I jimmied it in there against that little metal plate and I pushed and while the door wouldn't come off the hinges, whoa, it was starting, starting to widen the gap. But I just couldn't make that thing move. And then I remembered this scene that Bruce and I used to enact in the kitchen. Every time I tried to pass him in front of the refrigerator, we had this refrigerator that's kind of, there's a bar that curves around, you know, one of those breakfast bars, and it was kind of narrow, and if we'd sort of get stuck in there together, I always used to go, bam. And Bruce used to always say, oh, I can't fight with that hip, you know, and he couldn't. And I remember that, and I started to laugh, and I took that screwdriver, and I threw my hip into it. Praise Jesus, the, Lord, the door opened. The door popped open. It was a deadbolt, folks. And the door frame didn't even break. It's a funny story, but it's a serious story. God solved my dilemma, but I literally had to sit down in a 100-degree garage in my underwear and go, Jesus, I don't know what to do with this, and I'm done. I'm tired. I'm tired of being busy. I'm tired of being sad. I'm tired of being sweaty. I'm tired of rushing around. I'm going to sit here. And you're either going to tell me how to fix this or they're going to find me dead of dehydration three days from now because I am not calling someone or walking out in my neighborhood in my underwear. I'm so glad God's lesson that day was about patience and not humility. <laughs> yeah. It took 90 minutes. God reminded me in the small thing to sit patiently and ask him for help. He reminded me that the gift of sweet memories do not die. Our second scripture this morning is from Psalm 40. I liked last week when we read the scripture together at the end and we made it personal. And today you don't even have to figure out the words to use because it was written in first person. And I want you to read Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3, with me this morning. Would you please? I waited patiently for the Lord. 
He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Trust him. Now, every one of us could take that scripture and we could personalize it even a little more. We could insert some words and delete some words and this morning. I want to encourage you to do that when you read your Bible. Put yourself in the story. Make the psalm your prayer. Don't read it like it's about someone else's life or relationship with God. It's about yours. This is how I would read that scripture today. I finally waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He saw me sweat. He lifted me out of the slimy pit of grief, out of the mud and mire of busyness. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand and freed me from my garage and my running away from the process of letting go and letting God. He put a new song in my mouth. He put a sermon on my lips, a hymn of praise to our God that sounded a lot like joyful laughter. Because when that door popped open, I didn't go in the house. I went back and sat in the chair. I did leave the door open so the air conditioning would come rushing in. And I laughed. I laughed. I laughed because my sermon was written. This is probably going to be the last one you hear from me where I dwell on the last three months. You've been very patient. Ninety minutes, the sermon was written. Ninety minutes, I finally concluded that grief would have its day and God would win. Some of you are enduring illnesses, sicknesses, chemotherapy, loneliness. You might be new to the community and not have friends here. You might feel restless. You might feel like no one hears. God hears. But if you want to hear him, you need to sit patiently and wait on the Lord.